So first of all, I was told to thank you guys for um, hanging out in the foyer and uh, not coming in until the room was nearly set up. So that was much appreciated. We could do that again each time. And then we're going to just start with the city. So um, we'll probably offer a little reflection at the end, but just use the time to to settle in with your usual practice.
last few minutes of this sit, we'd like to offer a reflection to touch into the part of you that, that has some knowing through your practice, through whatever you've done up to now. What is it that you know so deeply that you have total faith in it? That even if somebody were to tell you, no, this is not how it is, you would know from your own experience completely confidently something that is true. What is that for you? if there is such a thing. So we wanted to begin um, tonight by um, asking if you have any reflections about the work that we asked you to do last week, um, either about reading of the suttas, or more especially um, about the uh, homework assignment, which was to notice which faculties are present for you at various times during the week, which ones come most frequently or are most available, are these situations where one is more appropriate than others? So, how did it go last week? We're not expecting really deep, profound answers. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have, actually. Oh, I was oh, hoping oh, for oh, that. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wisdom was sort of the one that came most naturally to just everyday stuff and doing stuff. Um, and anything that came up that was disturbing was too, you know. Um, I guess because it's, um, it, it's kind of mental, so it's like, it, it's just like, you know, kind of settling into this confidence that I have access to a deeper wisdom. Mm -hmm. I'm not really mm -hmm. 
it would switch a lot. And as I did the readings too, I was thinking about the different qualities in a different way. So I was able to to use them others more. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I thought it was interesting that you said you settled into the confidence that you had some deeper knowing, so that would be faith <laughs> or confidence. And you're right, they do come at different times. Yeah. I just want to mention that it seems like the five faculties, for each faculty, there's, there might be another word that can be used. And when I read the faculties, it from the poly language. You could have different words that represent different poly words. So I'm a little bit not sorted out about the exact five faculties that we're, we're trying to direct to. It's kind of like <laughs> Three words for each. Yeah, it's true. We're going to talk a little bit later. Yeah, we definitely will talk about vocabulary and and, and you're right. Today. There, yeah. um, you know, I'd say at least three different uh, words commonly found for each one of the faculties, and in some cases more. Um, Except for mindfulness, we're clear on mindfulness. We're very clear about that. Right? <laughs> um, I, I actually find that kind of a useful thing. I mean, we'll probably talk about that too. Um, sometimes, you know, particularly if I think about wisdom, we'll talk about this tonight. That um, our ordinary way of, of thinking and talking about wisdom may not be as appropriate as talking about discernment in the context of the five faculties. So, I, I think um, Kim will know more about this in terms of uh, of the poly, but I think there is a lot of flexibility, a lot of room there. To look for English synonyms. Yeah, there are five faculties that we're aiming for: sada, virya, samadhi, <laughs> and panya. But then, what is that? And that's right. for us to discover. Yeah. Yeah. Christine. Um, I found persistence as being when I was thinking about things in my week that I was able to achieve or in my life that it's mostly been persistence that has kind of, I've been like the rabbit versus the hare, kind of just kept going after, hmm. you know, my spiritual practice, my home, my family, my work, like uh -huh. that's the driving force or something. As, a, as opposed to vigor or effort or... Uh... Yeah, they have to, yeah, right, right. Those <laughs> other three of them, the same, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. When I was um, meditating, this one I was thinking about it more often. But um, so if I, I would see that, you know, maybe I need a little more concentration. But in order to have concentration, I need to bring in some energy, and then I also need to be mindful of where my mind was at, so that I could, you know, yeah. you know yeah. use them all. <laughs> Perfect. I think we're, in the work, we're all starting to see a lot of the interplay of these five faculties, how they nourish each other and work together. Great. Just did you have something? Yeah, I was just going to say that I noticed more, um, more than I had before. Just noticing sort of the the back and forth of when one 
faculty was more present, sometimes it's like partner uh, was less present. So noticing, I, also having considered myself for the past like couple of months to have no concentration, but then now watching for where concentration did show up, like before I think I had been focusing on the lack of it, and then now watching for its presence, there was a lot more presence than I expected and realizing that how like over overused it is and so I think I keep noticing its lack because it keeps getting kind of burnt out in a way so trying to see how that might be more sustainable in the future the partnership between effort and, and concentration mm -hmm. yeah. it's so easy for us to always pay attention to what we perceive as a lack or a difficulty than it is to really pay attention when things are actually going well when, we, when the mind is concentrated and still it's great I noticed that um, the time of the day would affect what faculty comes into comments. For me, um, energy is um, much more, beauty is much more available in the morning hours than it is later in the day. And so that was an interesting noticing. And a second one was that um, I had the occasion to be in a couple of meetings this week. You know, we all know meetings, and I noticed that concentration was required in the course of con being available for the meeting. In other words, consistent paying attention, concentrating, and not letting the mind go wandering around. Mm -hmm. So, those two were the ones that I was noticing this week as a part of my daily life. It's helpful to hear you talk about concentration in the context of daily life rather than just concentration on the cushion and that yeah. is important there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Am, am I still on here? No. Are we recording? Oh, are we recording? Yes, we are. Okay. <laughs> we think we are recording. We made a mistake last week, so you really had to be here. <laughs> it wasn't recorded. Right. Um, but we're hoping it will be recorded this week. The problem is we don't really know what mistake we made, so... <laughs> <laughs> we press the buttons. <laughs> okay, so um, this week we wanted to focus on the, the I should say, the sata and panya um, pair, faith and wisdom, if you will, or confidence and discernment. Can you put this behind you, or your hand behind you? Okay. Okay. I think I'm properly dressed now. Okay. So, um, Dan and I each wanted to just offer our reflections from our own practice on this um, particular pair and how we've experienced these qualities and worked with them. So I thought I would start by offering just a story that I remembered as I was reflecting on these. I once went on a three-month retreat at the Forest Refuge, and the way it works there is that there's a different set of teachers every month, and um, the third month that I was there, uh, Joseph Goldstein was one of the teachers, and he hadn't been there before, and he's um, someone, I mean, I, I liked all the teachers on that retreat, but it happened that I had worked with Joseph before, and I have a lot of respect for him, I consider him uh, one of my teachers, and it, I had an interesting experience the first morning when I was sitting in the meditation hall and he arrived to come and give the instructions or something. I 
the, I was already sitting there and I heard the teacher come in and move toward the front and so I opened my eyes a little bit and I saw him just just walking to the front <coughs> of the room and I had already been meditating for two months at that point so I was quite into my practice and settled but I noticed that just upon um, as a effect of seeing him my body sat up straight I felt some energy in my spine and I felt my um, my chest uh, kind of stick out <laughs> more like the like the statues of the Buddha and my mind became um, very serene and I thought this is a really I mean it was a very clear effect over a couple of seconds and I thought what is this <laughs> because I was um, just observing my experience and I knew the answer immediately is that it was the faculty of faith arising through seeing a teacher that I respect and so I I hadn't expected that because I'm not a super devotional, devotional to to people kind of practitioner. Although I, of course, have teachers that I know I resonate with, but I was just very interested that that was my mind and body's response, and it helped me really identify um, what some of the qualities of faith are. And that was, in fact, that was the guidance that I used last week when we did the guided meditation. Um, I drew on that experience to describe for you, try to evoke in you that quality. Um, another experience I can offer, which talks a little bit about these as a pair, is that um, when I went on my first retreat, I noticed that people, some people were bowing or even doing prostrations, like they would get to their mat and they would bow or they would, you know, that was just part of their practice clearly. And that was a time in my practice when I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't like bowing. Uh, I thought it would, you know, just didn't sort of go with my whole image of that. And so I, I tried it just um, because I was fairly open at that time. I, I actually tried to bow, but I didn't really know how to do it. And so I found it kind of unpleasant. And I said, all right, this is not for me. Um, and then later I, I learned about the five faculties. And you know, and I thought, well, maybe I, should, maybe I should try learning to bow, because that is an expression of devotion. It's an expression of faith. and I. Had felt that maybe that quality could use a little bit of uh, reinforcement in me. So I actually took up bowing as a practice and I started actually doing it. And I did actually get some instruction on it when I went on a monastic retreat. They, um, bowing is very important in the monastic world. They do it all the time and it happens that sometimes they offer instructions for lay people on how to do it. So I listened to their instructions. And I had no idea that there were so many components to it, and that it, you know, it actually has some meaning. And you know, having that information, um, which kind of came in through the wisdom channel, you know, here's what I know about bowing, um, was supportive for me to actually do it correctly on my own. And so I started doing it, and I was very interested. But I, I just opened my mind and heart. I stopped judging it. I was very interested to find that. Um, Bowing supports the development of wholesome mind states, and that bowing for me brought up um, generosity, patience, loving kindness, and a certain kind of joy, which I had not experienced before when I had no understanding of it. So there's faith and understanding playing off of each other. And I also, of course, um, evokes a sense of faith and reverence in what we're bowing to, or even just the act. And in fact, and this is something that the monastics mentioned, but I had to experience for myself, 
the act of getting yourself to the floor and putting your head below your heart and um, doing that smoothly and with some degree of grace and confidence is itself an act of renunciation. You have to let go of you <laughs> doing it correctly. You have to let go of a lot of things that get in the way of that. And so it's, it's just a simple act of renunciation. Well, renunciation is part of wisdom. So um, I found that just through doing this, the two really are a mutually supportive pair. We tend to think, oh, faith opposes wisdom or something, less faith, more wisdom. Um, this is like a Western mechanical balance kind of view. Um, if I take more of this one, I'm going to have less of this one. But actually, this is, this is not at all how they function. In my experience through that um, practice, these are much more like uh, mutually reinforcing, uh, much more like well, the image I came up with was uh, trees that lean on each other and grow together and therefore grow stronger and taller because they're both there um, connected with each other. So I've come to see that if there is an imbalance um, between faith and wisdom, it's probably due to a disconnection. Imbalance means disconnection, and that the way to strengthen both of them is to bring them into contact, as I did with this bowing practice. I brought in my wisdom, and I did the act, and you know, learned how to strengthen the faith. And between that, you know, in doing that and bringing them together, uh, we learned. I learned how they interrelate and how they end up strengthening each other. So my experience with these is that um, they are. They're not exactly, yeah, they're not opposite each other at all. And that um, if one of them is weak, it will eventually limit the growth of the other. So you're going to need to strengthen whichever one is weaker if you want both of them to keep growing. Mm -hmm. So the way these are often described in terms of balance um, hmm is also that they have a somewhat restraining effect on each other. You know, they, they strengthen each other through positive qualities, and then also each one guards the other from falling into their mutual disadvantages if they get out of balance. So a mind that has too much faith, for example, is gullible, ingenuous, um, naive, maybe not putting out enough effort. Oh, the Buddha will take care of everything. You know, I'm exaggerating, but we can uh, place too much faith in just something vague and not actually uh, do the work, not actually have discernment about how our practice is going and what might be needed and how to and actually putting in the work. On the other side, if we have too much wisdom and it's not balanced by also this reverence that we could have, the mind becomes clever, skeptical. It already knows everything. Um, this is a challenge in the West sometimes, is to talk with people who are not, you know, they don't have that brightness of faith. Um, you explain something about the Dharma and they say, oh yes, I read five suttas about that, here's what I know, X, Y, Z. It's like, okay, but you don't, um, you don't have openness to things that you don't know, that you can't understand right now, that are um, matters of the heart uh, beyond what the mind could really understand. So if we see these imbalances in our practice, um, we may want to be aware that we may not be able to go farther in either of those faculties until we strengthen the weaker one. 
This relates actually to the first sutta reading. I wanted to just point that out. Is that there was this one um, about Sariputta uh, called Conviction, the Sada Sutta 4850. And it, it gives the sequential method, because it's from the suttas, it's been used the sequential, where you know a monk who is endowed with conviction, which is the word for, that Tanjeff uses for faith, is going to arouse the faculty of persistence. And from there, we can expect that he will arouse the faculty of mindfulness, etc. But when it gets all the way to the end, um, it says that If I can find it, whatever, here it is. So, the phenomenon that once I had only heard about, I hear and now dwell, touching with my body and breaking through with discernment, I see. So, that's the culmination of wisdom. They get all the way to the top, breaking through with discernment, I see. Whatever conviction he has is his faculty of conviction, is what comes after that. So, perfect. Perfect understanding, like Sariputta has as an arhant, is exactly the same as perfect faith in the end. So the perfection of wisdom and the perfection of faith happen at the same time. Very interesting. Um, what else can I add? My experience with um, faith and wisdom also, although I gave a you know, when I talked about the bowing practice, I gave a somewhat positive example. My experience of working with them is that these two faculties are particularly effective in cases where we're suffering, where we have pain or difficulty in our practice, and you know, we, we have something challenging that we're working with, we can approach it with faith, um, with a sense of, I know there's going to be a way through this, I know that I can't see it, but I know there's a path here, so that's an expression of of faith. In fact, there's an entire sutta called the Transcendental Dependent Origination that takes you from suffering to full awakening. And the beginning of it is that suffering is met with faith. Usually we meet suffering with ignorance, <laughs> and then we go you know, right into the suffering with more suffering. But if we meet suffering with faith, instead, we start a whole different trajectory that goes up um, through concentration, discernment, and to letting go. Um, so that's one approach. Another approach to dealing with difficulty or pain that we encounter is to apply some kind of wisdom. You know, we may uh, remember a teaching, or we may have a very simple wisdom that's common to many religions. This too shall pass, <laughs> right? Impermanence. And so, um, I find that this particular pair of faculties are effective in handling the, uh, the challenges of practice, whereas, uh, we'll talk about next week, the energy and concentration are much more about the pleasure side of practice. You know, these are both um, energizing, exciting, uh, concentration is of course tranquilizing, but very, very pleasant. So there's, there's sort of more on that side of the spectrum. These are not absolutes, and it's not written anywhere, it's just Kim's. Um, rough correlation. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's, I think those are the main things I wanted to share about the, the faith and wisdom pair, and I will pass it over to Dan for now.
So I have some, some stories too. You're not the only one with stories. I'm very interested in uh, how faith feels. Some of us uh, still may be, um, have alive in us the sense of faith as um, the one we grew up with in Catholic school or the one we see uh, <coughs> and hear about, um, and that is that uh, having faith with no reason, really. So sometimes we even believe that uh, this is the kind of faith that's being asked of us uh, in our Buddhist practice. And um, it may even find a reinforcement when we hear things like the nine special qualities of the Buddha, which is chanted every day by monastics and begins, the accomplished one, the perfectly enlightened one, the endowed one with knowledge and conduct, the well-spoken one, and so on. Right? All these uh, superlative uh, honorifics and descriptions of the Buddha. Sometimes I can feel very much um, the same as those things that uh, we heard in Catholic school or wherever we became acquainted with faith. So the feeling of faith in those uh, uh, situations, um, I think it would be fair to say um, might have components of being overwhelmed by something that is uh, not really understandable or attainable, um, of being asked to do something for reasons that we couldn't possibly understand and yet to just continue doing them. But I think the feeling that comes from uh, faith as we talk about it in, in Buddhist practice um, is a very positive feeling. It's a feeling that is pleasant and engenders a feeling of lightness, of ease. It has as a, a main component a sense of assurance that we, yes, are being asked to move on, but we're being asked to move on from a place of our own conviction and our own support. Faith is sometimes allied with greed in, that, in discussions uh, of this particular practice. Greed because greed wants everything to be pleasant. Right? It wants the good stuff. It wants everything to be wonderful all of the time. Generally speaking, this is an attribute of faith also. We, we for the most part, don't have faith in things that are going to make us miserable. It's just a preference that we have that we would rather have faith in things that are going to lead us onward, that are going to move us towards happiness. So I think it's, it's actually quite interesting to think of these two uh, uh, attributes together, that of faith and that of greed. Also, I think it's, it's very reinforcing to not forget what we talked about last week, and that is that these faculties are things that we always have. I, uh, I was watching a video about snowboarding a couple of nights ago, and I thought, man, 
This is like the five faculties of snowboarding. <laughs> it was really amazing that you see these people doing these totally treacherous, death-defying things that you just look at them and go, you have to be insane to do this. And of course, they're all 17 and 18 years old, and they are insane. <laughs> um, but you still also have this sense of how exciting it is to be able to look at that and go, I could do that. I could do that. That kind of confidence you know, that would drive you to go do something completely maddening from my perspective. And to put out a lot of effort to do that. And to be very mindful about how you went about it when you watch the things that they do, you just go, the uh, level of attention that has to be present is just amazing to me. The concentration, total immersion in this activity, right? and the wisdom to know what is treacherous and what's not. What is a, something that would be wise or at least hopefully not harmful to attempt, and what would be really even crazy for a 17-year-old to attempt. So this, these faculties we always have, but when we direct them towards awakening, they become something different. When Kim and I first started talking about what we're going to do this week, uh, at a certain point in our conversation, it became really obvious to me that we were not going to have a situation where one of us talked about wisdom and one of us talked about faith, because they're just like that. They are so close, so close. So, I have a couple of stories, too. Um, and mine began really at the very beginning of my practice, um, uh, a little over 20 years ago, where the faculty that was most active for me was that of faith. Um, I was at a very difficult point in my life, um, and somebody had given me a Path with Heart, Jack's book, which I read, and for some reason it really resonated with me strongly. And then I had an opportunity to go on a 10-day retreat at Yucca Valley with Jack. So I jumped at that. Um, I just had this feeling of, of confidence that there was something there. I couldn't tell you what it was. It was something about ending my suffering, but I couldn't have used those words because I didn't. I was not acquainted with them, with that vocabulary, with that trajectory at all. So I went on this retreat, uh, and uh, there was some kind of sense of. I'm here with Jack Cornfield and all of these great teachers and listening to all of this and being really simultaneously inspired by the teaching and totally miserable by the physical circumstances that I was in, which was really unpleasant. But um, for whatever reason, um, this conviction, this sense that I was in the right place doing the right thing, even though I couldn't really explain it. I couldn't tease it out in some kind of uh, a way that would make sense even to me. It was just a sense that this was where I belonged at that time. And that little bit of sense provided the impulse to make the effort that was necessary for me to be there. Uh, when I left there, um, I would say that uh, I had a lot of faith and no wisdom. Nothing I could put my finger on at any rate. 
I started practicing right away when I came to Santa Cruz because Mary Orr was meeting, actually on the night that I returned, there was a uh, Vipassana Santa Cruz meeting. You were there. And um, so that just kind of kept me in the, in the loop. And not long after that, I went on a, I went to the dedication of Spirit Rock. And um, and all of these monastics were there who I just started reading about. Ajahn Sumedho was there, and Ajahn Amaro, and Ajahn Pasano, and all of the monks from the uh, Chiravada Center in Fremont were there, and Jack was there, and a, a lot of lay teachers were there. And again, I found myself in this space which was just completely inspiring. It, it was a, a place that just, again, told me in such a strong way, I'm in the right place, even if I don't understand why I'm here. And so I kept practicing, just for that reason, just for that reason. The wisdom part only really existed um, in the, from the standpoint that, that Kim mentioned, in that it enlivened my conviction. The wisdom part said, yeah, this is this is working, this is right, this is the right thing to do, this is the skillful thing to do, which only tightened the conviction that I had. But I hadn't really I had an experience yet where I could really feel wisdom at work. It was very uh, very much I was taking it on faith. So after that monastic retreat, um, I was working downtown, and it was my habit to go to Kelly's Bakery. I don't know if you remember this or not. 20 years ago, Kelly's Bakery used to be behind the old bookshop, Santa Cruz, which is now no longer an empty lot, the last remaining empty lot after the earthquake, but it was back there. And uh, I used to go there at my coffee break and have a pastry. And one morning, I walked in there, and there were quite a few people. And I was looking at the pastry case, and I realized that they had had this enormous price increase. It's just like everything went from a dollar in change to like two dollars in change, like most of your change. You know? And I could just feel myself becoming so angry. I was just incensed. And, and I knew that this was happening. I could feel it, and it's sort of paralysis actually coming over me. And and um, and I stood there, and I stood there, and it was finally my turn um, to be waited on. And um, I have some looks uh, that I hope I don't have too much anymore. <laughs> this look was something like, uh, "Can't you tell how much I'm upset about this?" <laughs> Don't you get it that it's your fault that you're ruining my morning? It was something like that. And uh, I, I didn't, hadn't said a word, but I realized that the only skillful thing that I could do at that point was to leave. I had to leave. And that's what I did. I left. And I walked around the block, and while I did that, I realized, first of all, that I was suffering tremendously. I was really just just eating my insides. I felt so bad, you know, that yes, this had happened. It was completely irrational from the standpoint that, of course, it wasn't anybody's fault that this happened, price increases happened, blah, 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 blah. But I was totally miserable, so miserable. And it occurred to me that 
um, if I didn't find something to do, that I was going to live with that misery, perhaps for a long time, certainly much longer than I wanted to. So I looked for the skillful thing to do. I consciously actually said to myself, what is the skillful thing to do? What is the skillful thing to do? Besides leave, that was still a skillful thing to do. So it occurred to me that the most skillful thing that I could do was to go back in there and to apologize and to buy my pastry. And so that's what I did. I went back in and uh, much to the surprise of the person who was waiting on me, uh, who wasn't looking for an apology, I apologized to him for uh, the attitude that I had taken on and, uh, and, and my hope that I had not hurt him in any way because of this, this attitude that I had. And could I please buy my morning bun? And so we had that transaction. This was the first time I really uh, understood how to how wisdom worked in my practice. This this sense of you know, walking through all of these faculties actually the one of faith, the one of effort, of mindfulness, just knowing that what I had done was unskillful. The immersion of being with, as completely as I could, this really crappy experience that I've had. And then the wisdom to find some skillful way to deal with it. it sometimes, and I've told the story a few times, and sometimes I think about it and I go, that's not such a big deal. But it was a huge deal to me, and even now, when I think about this story and retell it, it is an amazing trans trans transformation in how I view the world, how I let myself be in the world, how I let myself not have to be in charge of everything, how I had to let myself be, uh, be known to myself how I wasn't the person who got to judge everything, whether the price increase was justified or not. What am I talking about? It was a great kind of adjustment in, in what dance place in the world was. And it was also a great sense of release when that apology was given. You know, a release from my own suffering and from my own, this, this particular self that I had created, you know, to be able to let that go. So just as Kim said, this only fed my conviction that this was the right thing to be doing, that this practice was changing my life in a very deep and profound way. So I, I want to say something about actually the phrase that you used, because <laughs> I, I found myself really loving this in the sutta. At the end of each one of these faculties, it says, whatever persistence he has is his faculty of persistence and so on. And, and when I read this, what occurred to me was, this is the persistence that you have now. This is not persistence as perfected persistence or effort or mindfulness or, you know, this is just what it is for you right now, right now. And this seems tremendously important to me um, because the action um, that uh, is occurring 
when we look at these five faculties, it's just a kind of spiral where we keep touching each one of these faculties again and again, and we see how each one of them sort of pricks the next one to work a little bit harder, to be a little clearer, to be a little more definite, to hold our conviction more tightly. You know, it's not like everything happens and it's like perfect and then we get the next thing and it's perfect. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And it's important for us to, to have this understanding that that is your persistence, that is your effort, that is your mindfulness, that is your concentration, that is your wisdom, whatever you have at that point. And to see how they change and grow. I think that's all I have to say. Thank you. Can I throw one more story? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was inspired by um, you're talking about how you just knew in that retreat with Jack Bloomfield that that was the right place for you to be. I remembered uh, I have a friend who's a teacher who one time um, was running a retreat and he had the little registration form that he sent out to his group of people. And he had a, a question, why do you want to come on this retreat? And it was A, I didn't have anything else to do that week. B, I'm kind of curious what you're going to teach this time. I find it interesting. C, I just know that this retreat is needed for me right now. It just feels like it's really important. D, I will die if I don't come on this <laughs> And he only admitted people who put C or D. <laughs> <laughs> we are at um, asking for comments on or questions about what we said um, and also anything from the readings. We gave these two readings, one of them which positioned wisdom as the peak of a roof and the one about also the sequential that, that Dan and I have both commented on. So we thought we'd make some space for that before going into small group discussion. This is our chance for questions. As far as like losing faith or losing wisdom, if that's a thing, uh, I don't know what's, what's at work there, what is happening. It's like... As far as losing it? Yeah, where it's like there's like Faith feels like all of a sudden, and then it's just like yeah. Um, I'll just say I think that um, that this is something. I think it happens in a couple of different ways. One is uh, sometimes people who are are new to practice and stick around for oh, a little while um, lose faith right? fairly easily. They just don't see like sitting on a cushion isn't working for them and they don't not really get anything and, and then that's pretty much it they they're done or at least they're done for a while maybe they'll come back but losing faith uh, when you've had a considerable amount of practice and and deep sincere practice is a very very difficult place to be um, many long-time meditators talk about this as a, a kind of dark night of the soul, you know, a very, very dark, difficult time. And I, I think 
know how much we want to go into this, but I think it's very important to be able to talk to someone at that time, to not try and resolve this yourself. Um, it can go along with uh, other sort of problems that we have, like depression, for instance. You know, it can go along with that. So there can be other things that are active. Um, but it is a serious thing. It does happen. Um, and I don't think it would be wise to go through this on your own. So I, I really, that's kind of all I have to say about that. Right. Um, Dan gave a specific answer, so I'll give a general one, um, which is that these qualities are conditioned, and so there are conditions for them to be there. And if those conditions in your life fade away, uh, those faculties can't persist. And so part of wisdom, actually, and experience and practice is to begin to learn how we can maintain the wholesome qualities of mind, including the five faculties. And in fact, it's said that um, a person who is um, has some verified degree of wisdom in the practice is someone who understands five things about the five faculties. Their arising, their passing, their gratification, their danger, and their escape. We won't go into great detail on those, but it's understood that as you go through practice, you don't observe the arising and passing of the faculties. Has anyone not observed the arising and passing of concentration, for example, or energy? So why not faith and wisdom also? Um, and part of our, our you know, as we learn about our own mind and our own life and our own practice, we will see, oh, these certain things support faith in my life. You know, maybe for somebody having an altar and doing vows every day is necessary for them to kind of feel that faith. I know someone who's a teacher who has doesn't even have an altar at home. You know, she doesn't feel the need. It's all inside and whatever. So um, I think it's normal that they will come and go and that that's actually, we could see that as a learning opportunity to understand what supports those qualities in us. But I also um, would echo what Dan says, is in the particular case of faith, that's what teachers are for and friends. Does that help? Okay. Christine? Kim, I liked your story about just noticing in two months of mindfulness on that third month of just like how much you inflated with the faith. And I'm wondering, like, in your days now, where do you feed yourself with that? That's a good question. Um, could you repeat the question? Yeah, I realize some people may be speaking kind of quietly, <coughs> even for those in the back. So the question was, um, she commented on my story about feeling the faith arise when I saw Joseph and asked what it is that I do now to generate that same quality. That's interesting because I find that um, I hadn't thought, you know, I hadn't thought about it till this moment, but I often feel that just through sitting uh, these days, if I can touch a certain um, degree of stillness in my heart and mind, I'll feel that same effect. Um, I also um, just, you know, I don't need as many external supports as I did at that time, but I, I find that looking at images of the Buddha can bring that up for me because it's not an accident that the Buddha sits in that posture. Um, that same posture, it's meant to show his confidence, you know, he, had, he walked through, through the world with total confidence in his presence, <laughs> and so, um, and he displays that for us, and that's why it evokes that in us. I don't know if that answers your question, mm -hmm. but it's my, it comes to my heart. Mm -hmm. 
June. Oh. Um, earlier you said something comparing, I think you were comparing faith and um, what was it? It was grief? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I thought that that was so interesting because it's like a, a something I see as positive and something I see as negative. And I, I don't think I quite understood the point you were making with that comparison. I was wondering if you could mm -hmm. say more about that. So the, the comparison uh, simply uh, arises from um, what is being sought. So in both greed and faith, what we're looking for is something that is pleasant. Right? So that's just the, the, the only place that they touch. So. It's not at all saying that, well, if you want to increase your faith, maybe you should work on your greed. <laughs> no. But the, the idea is that, you know, in, in, in Buddhism, we have these personality types. And so um, uh, some teachers will talk about um, faith as being something that's much more um, approachable and more easily worked with, with people who have a greed type personality, right? because pleasure is the thing that's being looked for. Nothing terribly profound. Just interesting. Just to give context, um, that analogy comes from the Vasudhimaga, where it defines the six personality types, and you know the three general personality types are greed, hatred, and delusion. <laughs> but there are positive ones, and greed and faith are kind of subcomponents of the greed, is the faith type. And it's interesting to know the subcomponent that goes with hatred, the similar quality that's more positive, is intelligence. <laughs> Intelligence is said to have similar qualities to hate mm -hmm. because both are very discerning. Mm -hmm. oh. to wisdom, they say separate things out and and discern which is better. Yeah. I saw delusion. Hmm? Delusion goes with speculation, so with kind of um, theor theorizing. Yeah. yeah well, I had a, I thought about um, faith and practices that might build that spiritual faculty, such as um, maybe meta or benefactor practices, but then um, really they build the others, the other faculties as well, would you say? Or is that where the greed and the, um, the faith kind of comes together? I'm just uh, um, thinking for a moment about uh, the, the whole question of practices around faith. And um, I have to say that uh, for me, um, practices which uh, develop faith um, are more of the nature of what Kim was talking about, bowing. So in the beginning of my practice, I had a lot of pushback around faith because of how I was brought up. And uh, I remember actually, I started practicing when Sharon Salzberg's book on faith came out. And I just kind of went, <laughs> no thank you. I don't want it to know anything about that because I already knew all about it. So. <laughs> Uh, I started uh, actually bowing when I went on a monastic retreat. And um, first of all, I say it filled a kind of need that I had, a kind of uh, need for devotion, actually, which 
was missing because I had taken that out of my life completely. There is something about practices like bowing that um, are very much about um, agreeing to become a participant in a world that's much bigger than you are. A world where you do not know all the answers, but a world in which you're willing to do a lot of exploring and a lot of listening. And um, so as simple as that practice may seem, I feel that it's very profound. It's it's somewhat troubling here because, uh, you know, we typically don't bow here out of concern for people who um, might be offended by that. They have some ideas about that as being something they don't want anything to do with. When we're on retreat, that's a totally different matter. And, um, and bowing is completely resonant and fulfilling. So my, my own sense is very much that we all have this capacity to join, capacity to join a much bigger world than the one that we think we live in. And that means that there has to be some kind of reverence for that world. And that's what I see myself giving when bowing. Because the world that we live in is worth that reverence. So that's my, my thinking about practicing faith. Just add that I think it can be approached um, through uh, reflection. Also, um, there's a nice practice of um, a repeating question that I sometimes give to people who seem a little bit lost in their practice, um, which we all get to at some point. And it's to just sit quietly, and after you've settled down for ten minutes or so, you ask yourself, "Why do I practice?" And you'll get some answer, you know, to reduce stress or whatever. Um, and it's fine. Every answer is good. So every answer you say, thank you, and then pause. And then you ask again, why do I practice? And you'll get a different answer. And you say, thank you. Whoever has produced that, you thank it. And then you wait. And then you ask again. And you may have to ask 10 or 20 times. And by that time, you have run out of all of your surface answers. <laughs> anything your cognitive mind can come up with, anything you think you should be saying, anything you used to remember that you should be saying, you know, all that is gone. <laughs> and um, you may then really start to find out why you practice. And you may eventually get to an answer that is not verbal. It doesn't. It doesn't have that degree of cognition in it, and that is probably really why you practice. And it's worth touching into that now and then. Do you have something, Christine? 
you just seem like you're heading right back to those two questions because like, I'm going to die if I don't and, and because it's really, I'm really curious there's something here or something like that. All right, so maybe you guys get a chance to talk about this now with, with each other. Um, what do you think, groups of three or something? Um, Let's try groups of three and see how we do. Yeah. Try groups of three. Um, what English word fits best for you for the word sadha, for faith? People use faith, confidence, trust, conviction, or you may have some other word. Has your favorite word changed over time? And what is inspiring to you about this faculty? Let's all wrap together. What do you call this faculty for yourself? Has it changed? And what is really inspiring to you about this quality? What are the options? Faith, conviction, whatever you Confidence, trust, faith, conviction are the ones that we've read about so far. Um, but you could have your own. Those are not required. Sadha. S-A-D-D-H-A. So your word, has it changed over time, and what is inspiring to you about this faculty? And if each person could just share about that for a few minutes. Stay in your groups. You're, you're oh, going to have a second okay. question. Okay. Um, okay, so um, because the questions are sort of different this time, we thought we would um, do the debrief in between each of the questions. So if there's anything that, that was came up from that question, which we were thinking was probably an interesting one, um, if you'd like them to share anything in the wider group, that would be great. Should we take a poll on your favorite word? They <laughs> <laughs> don't want to offer their words. Confidence. 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 Conviction. Conviction, okay. Knowing. Ease. That's interesting. Knowing. That's wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> I, the more I talked about it, the more I realized that, that faith is very much tied for me to experience. So, um, both wisdom and faith, you know, build on just direct experience. Mm -hmm. So that so that you can have perfect confidence because um, it's like like I said, I, I, knowing you know I know I breathe I don't have I don't question that you know I don't doubt that because I have that direct experience all the time that I agree but but direct experience builds faith simply because you it just becomes the given mm -hmm. yeah. beautiful You have to get some really stimulating questions next time. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
They talked a lot. They're just holding back. Yeah. 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 Anything on the inspiration? Or Kristen, did you ever end up? I just, uh, I didn't feel like any specific word resonated for me yet. But I thought it was a really interesting question that I'm going to mm -hmm. think about for a while, probably. Um, and but what stuck out to me was something about giving up control mm -hmm. in faith. Yeah. Yeah. I any started words, out. Oh, go ahead. Uh, any words that absolutely did not work for you? See, last week faith didn't work for a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. What progress we've made. I think when I um, hear faith, I think of conformity. And so I resist that term. But um, place one part upon that term, although it's the kind of the same for faith, that I really resonate with. I have a very visceral response in my body. So. Yeah, it's interesting how you can have such a different response to the same faculty. Yeah, that's why it's useful to play with these words. I started out being in the anti-faith contingent of thinking that that word really didn't work, and I preferred confidence. Um, and then at some point, it changed. That's why I put that part in, and I really like the word faith now. Maybe it'll change again. I think the problem with uh, the word faith is in conversation, you're never sure how it's landing. That's true. Mm. Sada is good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, for me, the word trust is coming in a lot more. Um, I hadn't heard that word in connection with the Pali word sadha before just tonight, I think. When you said it, it finally got in, and I'm feeling like, yeah, trust, trust in that. There's some trust in the the flow of the universe that things do arise and pass away. That things will keep on arising and passing away. There's a, a trust in yeah, yeah the word trust somehow. is yeah. resonating right now. Great. Um, I. Uh, was in the anti-faith word camp for a really long time in terms of my lifespan. Um, <laughs> um, but I really resonated, I really resonated with what you said of like doing all these, doing things without knowing why and like just like knowing that you should be there. And um, I think that I connected that and it's not like an, and when I walked in this room, I was in the anti-faith boot camps, but I, I did connect more to those experiences before I was pro-faith word <laughs> to the current idea concept, concept of faith. And that was really interesting. I realized that like a, a huge part of my practice and a huge way I navigate in the world is through this faith, although I didn't have a word for it at the time. Yeah. I think something that we, we haven't actually touched on, um, uh, which kind of um, 
maybe shores up this notion of well, I'm just doing something because even though I don't know what I'm doing, there actually is a sort of method that that would be employed when we go to explore those things that we pick up with faith. And so we we ask the question, and we reflect on the question, or we do sort of due diligence. So there's a method that we proceed. We just don't accept everything blindly. But but in the very beginning, we may not have any idea. It's just a, a kind of energy that's flowing, and we feel that that's the way to go. Your microphone. Not on. Mm -hmm. In my mouth. <laughs> Thanks very much for that. <laughs> nothing, nothing okay. Uh, yeah. No, that's her. Maybe uh, there's some kind of implant that would work. I don't know. Okay. Can we do the second question. Yeah. So the second question is, um, Utejaniya offers this simple definition of wisdom. Wisdom is investigation, the desire to know. Wisdom is investigation, the desire to know. Does this conform with or challenge your understanding of wisdom? And does this seem like a useful definition for nurturing your practice? So wisdom is investigation, the desire to know. What do you think of that? I think you could probably just have a discussion. Sure. Mm -hmm. Or unless you want to do each person. Do you want to do each person contributing? Everybody started talking Everyone's already started. You can do it as you want in your journal. Okay. So, so thoughts. Wisdom is investigation, the desire to know. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Concerns, questions. Oh, thumbs down oh, to Linda. Linda, <laughs> well, tell us, Linda. <laughs> I thought we were all going to do this. <laughs> 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 up, so we'll get the other side uh, also. Um, the way he, that statement reads, the desire to know, to me, feels like this. This reaching desire thing, moving toward it. And to me, wisdom just feels like the accumulation of experiences, thoughts, discussions, teachings that build and it's a receiving type of thing mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. happens that builds and builds and builds and by you know noticing and attention you build in wisdom and of course you desire to, to know to be able to go through that process but it's not that's not to me what wisdom is and the desire to know is when you do that means for you. Mm -hmm. Great. Oh, I've talked a lot tonight. Is there anybody? I had some, I don't know, just um, struggle, I guess, with the idea of investigation and, um, you know, the, the sense of that feeling very intellectual and, and about this kind of, uh, has a kind of police flavor and all these things in these locations. Um, and also the idea that, that um, wisdom surely must have a hard component, and investigation doesn't seem to capture that. Mm -hmm. Maybe the desire part does, um, 
And then we also talked about the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of what Locke's wisdom, uh, that, that wisdom is very indwelling, and, and what gets in the way of it is kind of um, like the problems. Mm -hmm. I love that you talked about not having this heart component. Yeah. Um, I really resonated with it being like curiosity was what mm -hmm. it, it brought up, and it brought up Dan's story for me of of like him going and feeling his anger and just going off and saying. I'm curious, what's going on here? And then finding that path back feels like that was sort of a description of you being curious and finding your wisdom. So it felt like it rang true for me. Yeah, I, I think um, on the whole, I would say at best it feels like a very partial description to me. Mm -hmm. But there is that, that active element of wisdom, which is how do I find out what's skillful, what's not skillful, or how do I how do I know which of the four efforts, the right efforts to apply? That kind of that level of investigation, mm -hmm. but it also feels to me like there's a lot missing. Mm -hmm. so. What is the Pali word for um, wisdom? We were wondering. Panya. Panya. Panya is for that one. P A N N A, and both of the ends have a tilde over them. I started out not liking it, you know, I railed against it, but then as we talked about it more, I think I liked it more and more. Mm -hmm. And part of it was making a distinction between wisdom and intelligence or accumulated knowledge, and I think, I think they're different. Mm -hmm. um, and so I liked the idea that wisdom was really just more of an openness to investigate a state of mind rather than, oh, I've accumulated all this, I'm intelligent, I, I've accumulated all this, therefore I'm wise. So this idea that it's more of a process rather than an accumulation of something rang true for me. Yeah, it's interesting to note that in Buddhism, wisdom is, does not have the same understanding that we might in the West. It's not, it's not an accumulation, it's an, it is an act in the moment mm -hmm. to, to bring wisdom in as a quality of mind. Um, my understanding, one thing that came to mind for me in seeing this is that, of why it's linked to investigation, is that in the seven factors of awakening, they begin with mindfulness, and then the second one is investigation. And the understanding is, you, when you take a sequential understanding of the seven factors, you start with mindfulness, which is really just kind of an observation of things, and then the investigation makes that more intelligent, it makes it wiser, it brings in, you're not just, um, simply observing things with mindfulness, but you're going to probe into them a little bit and really figure out and so forth. And so it, it refines just attention a little bit by bringing in a wisdom component. What is the body word for faculty? Indria. And how is that? It's related to the god Indra, who is the god who controls the other gods. 
and the faculties are sometimes called the controlling faculties. These are the qualities of mind that we bring to bear in order to develop a skill. We talked about that last week. And so they're, we don't like the word control very much in the West, so we didn't really talk about that aspect, but they are called the controlling faculties. Did you want to add to that? Mm, no. That's that's where Indriya comes from, from the god Indra. Aren't they also known as They're also uh, the Bala, uh, the five powers. The powers it has yeah. a different word, but there's the same five qualities are also the five powers, which is interesting. And the five strengths Indra's are net. also the same. Indra's net also comes from Indra's Indra. net. Is that the same one? I, I guess so, maybe. But Indra is a Hindu god. Well, so, so yeah. is Indra in this. I guess that's just probably the same god. But I've never heard that linked to the faculties. It's always Indra in his role as the controller of the other gods, the ultra manager. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I just uh, liked the idea of with investigating, like we talked about, in regards to the practice and. Um, like the wisdom and choosing to investigate instead of react to something. Yeah, mm -hmm. to yeah. open to it, check it out. I like that. Yeah. yeah. It seems like you know, we're, talk we're talking about this, that there, there are levels when we're talking about wisdom, we're, we're talking about certain aspects of wisdom, and certainly when we're talking about the faculties, we're primarily talking about this, this factor, this, this action of wisdom which serves to discriminate, is this skillful, is this not skillful, that, that kind of thing. But that is only a part of wisdom, and of course, investigation works great in that context. And that's actually the context that Utejaniya was delivering this. I don't know what else he would have to say about wisdom. Um, but he's very strong, and uh, actually he gives us in the part of the context of talking about how, how much he likes teaching Americans. He likes teaching people from the West because they like to ask questions and they like to investigate. Okay. So how much of that response was sort of pandering to the Western appetite for investigation? I don't know. But I, I think it serves to... Um, uh, satisfy a, a part of what wisdom does quite well, you know, but certainly not all of wisdom. Yeah. Well, it's just about mm -hmm. time. Um, so that's it for today. Next week we're going to look at the energy concentration or effort concentration pair, and we'll send you some readings. Tomorrow, um, maybe a reflection or practice.